Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Everybody stay where you are. Chill the F out. I'm going to ask you this one time. Where is Gamora? Yeah, I'll do you one better. Who's Gamora? I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 99, Avengers Infinity War. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And thank you once again so much for being here, for continuing to join me on this little Avengers escapade that I'm going on. And obviously, this is episode 99, it's Avengers Infinity War, so... I mean, you know what's going to be episode 100. Especially if the previous two episodes have been on the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. But, as always, whether you are a returning listener, a long-time listener, or completely brand new, you've literally just come in for this episode because Infinity War is your favourite Avengers movie, then thank you so much for being here. Uh, And thank you so much if you are a a long-time listener for basically continuing to support me on this Really, really amazing podcasting journey that I'm going on. Obviously, Verbal Diorama isn't going to stop at 100 episodes, oh no. No, 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 no. It's obviously going to be carrying on for the foreseeable, but getting to 100 episodes is, well, I mean, it's quite a big deal. So, really, just thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for all of the super positive feedback, all of the wonderful comments on episodes like The Avengers, which a lot of people really, really loved. I actually got a particular comment saying that they wanted the episode to be longer because they were enjoying it so much, which was really, really nice to know. Unfortunately, I think it's quite it's quite weird because when you sit in a room talking to yourself, it, it is quite weird to want to talk to yourself for a, a longer period of time. So I normally try and keep episodes around the hour-ish mark. Usually they are, you know, 40 to 50 minutes-ish. Sometimes, especially with Marvel episodes, they tend to be over the hour. I think for Infinity War, and I'm just guessing based on the amount of notes that I have, that Infinity War is going to be quite big. But anyway, without further ado, let's jump into Avengers Infinity War, because like I say, there is a lot to talk about. But mainly... Thanos is coming. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could.
know what it's like to lose. To feel so desperately that you're right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. Destiny still arrives. Evacuate the city. Engage all defenses. And get this man a shield. isn't something one considers when balancing the universe. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. Avengers and their allies have continued to protect the world from threats too large for any one hero to handle, a new danger has emerged from the cosmic shadows, Thanos. A despot of intergalactic infamy, his goal is to collect all six Infinity Stones, artefacts of unimaginable power, and use them to inflict his twisted will on all reality. Everything the Avengers have fought for has led up to this moment. The fate of Earth and existence has never been more uncertain. Let's quickly, and when I say quickly, I mean not quickly, because <laughs> this is a huge cast, everyone, clearly. So let's, as quickly as I possibly can, go through this immense cast of characters and actors, because there is loads in this movie. How on earth the Russo brothers managed to control all of this, I mean, it really still beggars belief, but... We will start with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, aka Iron Man, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, aka Hulk, Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, aka Captain America, Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, aka Black Widow, Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Stephen Strange, Don Cheadle as James Rhodey Rhodes, aka War Machine, Tom Holland as Peter Parker, aka Spider-Man, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. Paul Bettany as Vision. Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. Winter Soldier. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Idris Elba as Heimdall. Peter Dinklage as Eitri. Benedict Wong as Wong. Pom Clementif as Mantis. Karen Gillan as Nebula, Dave Bautista as Drax, Zoe Saldana as Gamora, Vin Diesel as Groot, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts, Benicio Del Toro as Tanalia Tivan, aka The Collector, Josh Brolin as Thanos, Chris Pratt as Peter Quill, aka Star-Lord, Danai Gurira as Okoye, Letitia Wright as Shuri, Winston Duke as Umbaku. Additionally, Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders make uncredited cameos in the post-credits scene as Nick Fury and Maria Hill, respectively. The screenplay of this incredibly intense movie was by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. You may remember them from the Captain America movies. It was directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, who you may remember from the latter two Captain America movies. And it was based on Avengers by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So, oh, right. Let's take a deep breath. Because <laughs> there's a lot to go through on this movie. So, in episode 97 on the Avengers, I talked about the remarkable group of people who made the Avengers into a team from characters that weren't meant to team up. Characters from different backgrounds blending together despite their differences to fight a common foe. In episode 98 on Avengers Age of Ultron, they faced a new villain, a villain of a hero's desire to build a suit of armour around the world, 
a hero surrounded by gods with a god complex who created a monster in his own image, leading to the Avengers questioning his motives. And obviously by that person, I mean Tony Stark. In episode 73, Captain America Civil War, a movie many deem Avengers 2.5, a split in the team based on the differences of opinion that festered from Age of Ultron and into a split of the team, one team legal, working under the Sokovia Accords, and another are fugitives, with the two leaders, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, no longer on speaking terms. Each Avengers movie upped the ante in terms of characters and world building, and after his cameo tease at the end of Avengers in 2012, Thanos was inevitable to Marvel as a primary antagonist for a future movie. But a villain as big as Thanos couldn't just be contained in one movie, especially after 10 years and 19 movies of build-up. And on a summer creative retreat, Marvel's team, including, of course, Kevin Feige, came up with an idea. And these retreats had been fairly commonplace. They originally initiated in the summer of 2008 after the announcements of Phase 1 of the MCU. The creative team would get away on a retreat. It was the third retreat in 2014 that the ideas of a two-part story on Thanos, his quest for the Infinity Stones and what that would mean for the Avengers as a whole started to come together. In October 2014, Marvel Studios announced Avengers Infinity War Part 1 for a 4th of May 2018 release and Avengers Infinity War Part 2 for 3rd of May 2019. During this time, Joss Whedon was finishing production on Age of Ultron and many presumed he would once again take the mantle of writer-director. However, a gruelling Age of Ultron production, listen to episode 98 for more on that, meant that Whedon ruled himself out early on, citing that he couldn't give it what he would need to. He would also admit that despite the inclusion of Thanos in the Avengers post credit sequence was his idea, he had no idea what to actually do with the character. In April 2015, just as filming was due to get underway on Captain America's Civil War, and after the storming success of Captain America the Winter Soldier, Marvel approached brothers Joe and Anthony Russo for Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. And unlike Marvel and Joss Whedon, Marvel and the Russo brothers saw eye-to-eye with the ongoing vision of the cinematic universe and signed on to direct both movies and film back-to-back. Screenwriters Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who also wrote Captain America The First Avenger, as well as The Winter Soldier and Civil War, signed on to write the screenplays for both parts of Infinity War. Now, because at this point the films are a two-part Infinity War story, there's going to be a bit of crossover between this movie and Endgame. I'm going to try to keep that to a minimum, but when you have two directors and two screenwriters writing the screenplays and filming back-to-back, what is currently being deemed a two-parter, there's going to be a bit of a bleeding between the two production stories, but I am going to try and avoid it wherever possible. Avengers Infinity War is based on the storyline of Jim Starling's 1991 The Infinity Gauntlet comic, as well as Jonathan Hickman's 2013 Infinity comic. In Jim Starling's The Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos has collected all six Infinity Gems, time, space, mind, soul, reality and power, and attached them to his gauntlet, giving him immeasurable power. He sets out to win the affection of Lady Death, believing that killing half of the living beings in the universe will sufficiently woo her, as, you know, women tend to like. But he is now superior to her, and she cannot speak to him. Angered at her rejection, Thanos destroys several stars and eliminates half of the universe anyway. Silver Surfer crashes to Earth to warn Doctor Strange of Thanos' impending threat. As Thanos becomes more mad with rage, Mephisto and Lady Death join the fight against Thanos. Nebula steals the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos then teams up with the Avengers to fight Nebula, who inadvertently reverses Thanos' elimination of half of all living beings. Thanos then goes to live on a farm, which kind of also does happen. The title of Infinity War was inspired by the sequel to Infinity Gauntlet, which is called The Infinity War. Jonathan Hickman's Infinity comic follows on from the 2013 Age of Ultron storyline, which, as I mentioned last episode on Age of Ultron, wasn't actually based on the Age of Ultron comic, and includes Thanos' Black Order, called the Children of Thanos in this movie, as well as a scene set in Wakanda. It's widely reported that the majority of Infinity War follows the Infinity Gauntlet rather than Infinity. As Marcus and McFeely were first tasked with writing Civil War, they had to wait till filming started on Civil War to start writing Infinity War Parts 1 and 2, as originally the plan was one story and two movies to tell it in. They got to work on an overall arc for the two screenplays and shared their thoughts with executives at Marvel. 
Originally, they had conceived an arc around Thanos' obsession with Lady Death and wanted to include the Lady Death character, but let's be honest, Infinity War is already jammed packed full of characters, most of which get less than 10 minutes of screen time. So including Lady Death would have made a huge cast list even bigger and more time consuming and would have reduced the amount of time available to characters that we already know and love. Anthony Russo would comment that it was their responsibility to carry forward the story as it's been set out and that to add a character that the audience has no relationship with, to set it up, to make you care why Thanos cares so much about this character would be too much for the movie to cope with. Instead, they came up with a similar concept to his love for Lady Death, making him get rid of half of all living beings in the universe, but rather than do it for her love, he would do it as a balance between life and death. The life was getting out of hand, causing overpopulation, lack of space, food, natural resources, and the only way to balance that would be removing half the problem. And clearly, Infinity War is Thanos' story. He is the hero of this story. He is saving the universe by removing half of the problem. Thanos needed to be introduced in a compelling way as a protagonist against all of these characters who were previously protagonists of their own stories. We knew of him from cameos and from his daughters Gamora and Nebula, two characters who couldn't have different relationships to their adopted father. James Gunn had been entrusted to start the ball rolling with a backstory for Thanos via his daughters. Originally, Thanos was set to narrate Infinity War and the Black Order were given backstories and detail. Neither were used in the end, but the experience of fleshing out the characters helped to build the motivation of Thanos. Why would he want to do this? And more importantly, how would he accomplish it? They even contemplated having Infinity War as an intricate heist movie, with the Avengers failing to catch Thanos as he hunted down each Infinity Stone. The playing of catch-up was used in the finished movie, but in order to cut for time, a scene of Thanos decimating Xandar was removed, mostly because audiences would know what happened, it was inevitable, so to speak, but also no one needed to see more destruction on Xandar after Marvel's most character deaths on screen. 998 characters died on Xandar in Guardians of the Galaxy, the most on-screen character deaths in any Marvel movie so far. There may even technically be more off-screen deaths due to the destruction of the Nova Corps, the crashing of Ronan's ship, but we'll leave that for a future episode on Guardians of the Galaxy. Talking of the Guardians and the other new additions to an Avengers cast list, when Marcus and McPhee started writing Infinity War in early 2015, there were three years worth of Marvel movies that were released during that time. Every character needed to be accounted for, have continuity, as well as dealing with the OG Avengers that everyone expected to see. Some characters, such as Thor, essentially got soft rebooted during this time, and the end of Thor Ragnarok directly affects the beginning of Infinity War. Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi met with Marcus and McFeely to explain the character's new, more comedic direction, which directly changed how Thor was portrayed in Infinity War. Additionally, brand new characters and locations, such as Black Panther's King T'Challa and the country of Wakanda, played a huge part in the movie, with director Ryan Coogler consulted on. He included detailed maps of Wakanda for the Wakandan battle. James Gunn also consulted on the aforementioned Guardians of the Galaxy, including their introductory song Rubber Band Man by The Spinners, as well as insisting Star-Lord would pull the trigger to kill Gamora as she requested. Other new characters introduced to Infinity War from their own solo films included Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. While Ant-Man didn't appear, nor Clint Barton for that matter, we needed to know where they were, both on house arrest after the events of Civil War. The Russo brothers and Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely were therefore juggling a lot of balls during pre-production as well as during and post-production. And honestly, this is one of the most impressive things about this movie. But of course, this was already a huge movie to begin with. And so some things really couldn't be included. And ongoing plots which were removed included the fledgling romance between Natasha and Bruce from Age of Ultron, which essentially Marcus and McFeely felt didn't serve the Thanos plotline. Plus, if Bruce is so shaken by Hulk being beaten by Thanos without even using the Power Stone to do it, why on earth would he even be remotely interested in romance at this point? Because this story was going to be the culmination of Thanos getting what he wanted, from the last shot in the Avengers, he's had one goal, get the Infinity Stones and wipe out half of the population of the universe. Lady Death might not be an official presence in the movie, but Death is. 
Immediately out of the gate, we get deaths for Heimdall, stabbed in the chest for summoning the Bifrost and evacuating Hulk, and most shockingly, the seemingly unkillable Loki, whose path to redemption is almost complete, is brutally choked to death in front of Thor. This was the point when you realised your favourite hero isn't necessarily safe. If Hulk can be bested and a literal god murdered, the chances are anyone can die in this movie. Even Doctor Strange is bested by Ebony Moore, who's definitely the best of the children of Thanos, by the way. And in a nice little nod to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ebony Moore is killed shockingly quickly, akin to aliens, mainly because the filmmakers realised that that's not what you would expect from the movie. And this is even before all of the dustings at the end, which may have been at random, according to Thanos, but were carefully chosen by the Russos, Marcus McFeely and Marvel Studios executive producer Trin Tran, which essentially left the OG Avengers alive, along with some carefully chosen allies, ready to avenge the impactful death of friends and colleagues. The plan was always to end this movie with the snap, and Thanos believing he had done the right thing. He'd brought peace and prosperity to a grateful universe, as well as counter the Marvel critics who complained that Marvel always played it too safe, that endings were too predictable, and that character deaths, such as Agent Coulson in The Avengers, could easily be reversed, or that general character deaths, such as Pietro Maximoff in Age of Ultron, weren't impactful enough because we didn't care about the characters. Once the script was actually final, several fake and incomplete scripts circulated the production to ensure complete confidentiality. Only Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans received genuine complete scripts. Other actors only received the scripts for their scenes and most only received scripts a mere hours before they were actually doing their scenes. This was mostly due to some actors, <coughs> mentioning no names Tom Holland, being incredibly loose-lipped in the past to the media, as well as to avoid any deliberate security breaches. Because this was a huge movie, there was a lot riding on it, there was a lot of fan anticipation, people really wanted to know, but this was so locked down, and it's so impressive that it was so locked down. It's really incredible that nothing leaked from this movie. Everyone who watched this movie in the cinema had the same experience as everyone else. There was no spoilers, there was no leaks. It was really, really well handled. Some of the completely brand new actors involved in this movie include obviously Josh Brolin as Thanos, as well as Peter Dinklage as Eitri and the members of the Children of Thanos, including a pregnant Carrie Coon as Proxima Midnight. She only provided facial capture and limited motion capture due to her pregnancy. Terry Notary as Cull Obsidian, Tom Vaughan Lawler as Ebony Moore, and Michael James Shaw as Corvius Glaive. Also new was Ross Marquand playing Johann Schmidt, aka the Red Skull, replacing Hugo Weaving. You remember Hugo Weaving was actually the Red Skull in Captain America the First Avenger. He did not want to return to the role, so Marquand only provided the voice for the character and no motion capture. Josh Brolin did actually play Thanos in Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers Age of Ultron, though it was uncredited. In The Avengers, Thanos was played by Damien Poitier and credited as Man Number One, which is fascinating stuff. So principal photography on Avengers Infinity War started on 23rd of January 2017 at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayette County, Georgia, and the very first scene shot was part of the battle on Titan. But... As this is a production where two movies were shot back to back with extended breaks and the reason this occurred over a joint shooting schedule was simply that Marcus and McFeely needed time to write the Infinity War Part 2 script which would obviously become Avengers Endgame eventually but more on that next episode because I really don't want to talk too much about Endgame if I can help it. Infinity War was also shot in Scotland, with scenes in Edinburgh on and around the Royal Mile as well as at Waverley Station was also shot in Glasgow and the Highlands, as well as Ward Park Studios in Cumbernauld. The production would also shoot endgame scenes while in the UK at Durham Cathedral and St Ebbs. Durham Cathedral would be 2013 Asgard and St Ebbs as New Asgard. But again, that's for endgame. I just wanted to mention it because it seems like they shot endgame scenes while they were shooting Infinity War and I thought that was quite interesting because, you know, kill two birds with one stone and all that. Ari Alexa IMAX digital cameras had been used before in the airport scene in Civil War, but for the first time ever, both Infinity War and Endgame used these brand new cameras for the entirety of the shoot, and in doing so became the first movies ever shot completely with them. Trent Opalock served as director of photography on both movies, and the footage, digitally processed by IMAX, was released in a 1 to 90 to 1 
aspect ratio exclusively in IMAX cinemas. Like with the Avengers, a mix of tall and short characters meant that the aspect ratio served everyone, as well as including the landscapes. Unlike the three-camera setup used on the Russo's Captain America movies, Infinity War was shot mostly with a single camera setup. Production on Infinity War wrapped on the 14th of July 2017, before a month later the shoot for what would become Avengers Endgame, it's still at this point where we're talking, it's still called Infinity War Part 2, it would become Avengers Endgame, but again more on that next episode. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that you knew that there was a small break in between the filming of these movies, it wasn't literally they finished Infinity War and then the next day they started Endgame, there was a break in between. Post-production was labour-intensive, it contained over 3,000 visual effects shots, and Thanos, who was a major character, obviously in the movie, had to be rendered from scratch. In fact, Thanos appears the most in the movie, he has 29 minutes of screen time, followed by Gamora with 19 minutes 30 seconds, Tony Stark has 18 minutes, Thor has 14 and a half minutes, Bruce has 8 minutes 45, Steve Rogers has 6 minutes 45, Natasha has five minutes. In fact, most of the characters who have the longest screen time are the characters who end up getting dusted at the end of the movie. Thanos as a character provided much in the way of internet memes and enthusiasm from fans. A website set up post-Infinity War, didthanoskill.me, was a site where you could find out if you were spared by Thanos in the snap. For your information, I have checked and I was spared, which is good for this podcast, I guess. Also, which I found really interesting, was a Reddit initiative to ban half of all Reddit users at random from the subreddit uh, Thanos did nothing wrong, to which Josh Brolin himself participated by snapping his fingers and over 300,000 accounts were banned temporarily, including, hilariously, one of the directors of the movie, Anthony Russo. And like I said, this is kind of jumping ahead of it, because this is all kind of post the release of the movie. People were really interested in the character of Thanos, and basically, whether Thanos was right or wrong. And there was a lot of discussion, I remember it because I had so many of these discussions with friends, was Thanos right to do what he did? And the whole character of Thanos was actually quite beloved by so many people. And like I say, the production was so tight, none of these secrets were getting out during production. So when the movie did actually come out, there was a hashtag on social media, which was hashtag Thanos demands your silence to stop people posting spoilers. And basically having Thanos as a threat to people not to post spoilers, because no one wants to get on the bad side of Thanos, let's be honest. So let's talk about Thanos for a little bit, because he is an interesting, complex, divisive, kind of infuriating character. But while his methods are controversial, shall we say, if we look at the facts, at the scientific facts behind our planet and what our planet is going through, Earth does have an overpopulation and resource issue. So I thought I'd have a look at the science behind Thanos' plan, what that science actually tells us. So let's start. So we have 7.6 billion people on this planet. That's estimated to reach 10 billion by 2050. Overcrowding has played a huge factor in, well, all sorts of issues, but mostly the recent coronavirus pandemic, because people are so closely packed living together because there's no space. The dominance of humans affects biodiversity with about 25% of animals and plant life now threatened with extinction due to land use, hunting, exploiting wildlife, climate change, pollution, and introducing invasive species. It's highly probable that things like climate change and global warming would take hundreds of years to reverse with a reduction in carbon emissions. While the loss of 50% of the population, including animals, obviously, as we find out in Endgame, is shocking, it's something called anthropocentrism, the placing of humans at the centre of everything that's actually affecting our planet in the first place. Earth has had mass extinction events before, obviously way before our time, and life bounced back every single time. It's really easy to be emotional about this movie because this movie is about the emotions. If this were real, no one would want to see their loved ones get dusted. And that's what makes Thanos such a compelling and interesting villain. And it, it's very similar, actually, to Killmonger in Black Panther. Because if you look at the science and you look at the logic, Thanos is right. Something needs to change on our planet 
to stop what we're doing. I'm not necessarily suggesting that mass genocide is the answer, because ultimately that's what Thanos is suggesting. But it is a stark warning, actually. And I, I don't mean to use stark as a pun, but it it kind of is. And that's one of the things that I find so interesting about Infinity War, is you watch the movie, you enjoy it, but then you finish it and you think, well, actually, he's right. <laughs> it's just, it's, I think that's what makes it so compelling. This is Thanos' story. This makes the Avengers the antagonists. But it also makes some really interesting arguments on the theme of heroic sacrifice. Something that Steve Rogers was more than willing to do in Captain America the First Avenger when millions of lives were at stake. But here and now, Vision is not afforded the same luxury of an opinion when it's clear his self-sacrifice is the only option. But really, it's not so much are we willing to sacrifice ourselves, but are we willing to sacrifice a loved one? Loki, whose development from the guy wanting to be king of Midgard in the Avengers, has evolved via the Dark World and Ragnarok to beloved son of Odin. He fights alongside his brother to save Asgard, and he sacrifices himself for Thor without question. And it's possibly the noblest thing that Loki's ever done. Wanda is tasked to sacrifice Vision, Star-Lord makes a promise to Gamora to sacrifice her, and Thanos, not only can he control all of these sacrifices, he also chooses to sacrifice his beloved daughter Gamora, the one person he loves, despite it being a twisted form of love. We see him give the command to murder people, as a young Gamora is gifted a bejeweled dagger. He abducts this little girl, he chooses to raise her, but still, he abuses her. Because even abusers believe that their narcissistic warped version of love is still love. And going back to the real stakes, Gamora is killed for the Soul Stone, which is still a shock. Despite knowing that Gamora's gonna die, it always still shocks me when she does. Gamora's pain and grief and guilt is honestly some of the best stuff in this movie because Thanos bred his daughters for battle. He abused them both. He set them both against each other. And she is the only one on the Avengers side, apart from Nebula, who truly knows what her father is capable of. When she thinks that she's killed her father, she breaks down. She finally feels free from her trauma and she's filled with remorse because this, at the end of the day, is still the man who raised her, despite the fact that he was an abusive a-hole to her. We find out that not only is Gamora the most dangerous woman in the galaxy, she's also willing to give her life to save others, and that the taking of her life will literally condemn others. Gamora, for me, is the underrated hero of this movie, and Zoe Saldana absolutely kills this role. When she died, that was the most shocking death for me. Nebula realising that her father has killed his favourite daughter to get what he wants. And when Star-Lord obviously realises what Thanos has done, his emotions get the better of him. And there's a lot of discourse online, and there was at the time, about Peter Quill and about how Peter reacted to Gamora's death. And I think, you know, who are we to judge how we'd react knowing that someone we love has been killed. And not only that, that the person responsible is standing right in front of us. Like I say, a lot of judgment fell on Peter Quill for him being at fault for the Avengers losing the Infinity Gauntlet. But, you know, I'd wager that if we were in that situation, after experiencing the level of loss that Peter has, you know, he lost his mother, he killed his own father, and now he's lost Gamora, that we wouldn't want to get revenge on the person who did it standing right in front of us. I kind of feel like you can't say that you wouldn't because <laughs> I think it would take a very, very strong individual to not want to take some sort of revenge on a murderer who's standing right in front of you. Because this is a movie about love and it's a movie about different versions of love and what love means to people. And dysfunctional relationships in the Marvel Universe are really par for the course. As I mentioned, Tony and Steve aren't on speaking terms at the start of the movie. Tony and Doctor Strange, they meet. They don't seem to get on all that well either. It's an ego thing, I think. Gamora and Nebula have had a very dysfunctional relationship. But when Gamora sees that Nebula has literally been pulled apart, she would do anything to stop the pain of her sister. And that shows how Gamora and Nebula have grown over the course of these movies. And additionally, Bruce and Hulk are having issues too. Not because 
Hulk was beaten by Thanos hand-to-hand, although undoubtedly that didn't help, but because Hulk is tired of doing Bruce's dirty work. And, you know, can't just be summoned on command to help out when Bruce fancies it. And I think that's a really interesting, different type of relationship as well, because it is a dysfunctional relationship. It's two personalities, two complete people sharing one body and how that works for Hulk and how that works for Bruce. Because just before this movie, we had Thor Ragnarok, where obviously Hulk was the person in main control of this body. And Hulk had been in charge for a few years up to that point. So, you know, Bruce is saying, Hulk, come out and help me. And Hulk's basically saying, you know what? Nah, I don't want to help you. (laughs) Which I think is absolutely fine. You know, Bruce sees Hulk as the the strong man of the situation and Hulk is tired of being used for that. I don't think Hulk being completely beaten by Thanos without even using the power stone, let's uh, not forget, still basically gave Hulk a beating. So I don't think that certainly helped, but it's a really interesting look at relationships as well. And you know, if you think that I'm not going to mention Beardy Cap catching a spear in an Edinburgh train station, well, you know, you're Rongi McRongerson because that is probably one of the best scenes in any Marvel movie ever. Uh, <laughs> and it's just so cool. It's one of the coolest ways a character's been introduced. And I'm here for Beardy Cap. It actually makes me kind of sad. You know, when we're going to move on to Avengers Endgame, we don't have any more Beardy Cap. But Beardy Cap, I know, is a fan favourite too. And let me just tell you, I am here for Beardy Cap. Yeah, I think as a way to visually show what a character has been going through for the past few years since Civil War, Beardy Cap is a really good way to show us that he's just so bored of everyone's bull, isn't he? (laughs) I love Beardy Cap. And he catches a spear and it's really, really sexy. Anyway, moving swiftly on. So speaking of sexy, let's talk about Keanu Reeves. Let's go on to the obligatory Keanu reference. This is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And it's always so hard with Marvel movies. And I always say this with Marvel movies. And one thing that I did joke about on social media with the release of Loki, the new Marvel TV show, was that maybe I should start doing an oblocatory (laughs) Tom Hiddleston reference. And maybe I should only do that for Marvel movies because it is so much easier to link Loki or Tom, for that matter, to Marvel than it is Keanu. However, I'm going to carry on with Keanu because Keanu is my number one. Tom Hiddleston, very much my number two. So Keanu isn't in Infinity War. I mean, stop the presses. (laughs) I don't know if you knew, but he's not. However, you know, he was in Toy Story 4. Buzz Lightyear's famous quote is to infinity and beyond. And that's the link. It's really bad. But you know, I kind of feel really positive about this episode. I think this episode is actually good. So if it's got a bad obligatory Keanu reference, well, that's okay. And it is kind of a link because it's the word infinity. Okay, whatever. So the music of Infinity War, Alan Silvestri returned. Uh, He originally did the Avengers. He did not do Avengers Age of Ultron, but he returned for both Infinity War and Endgame. He also used Ludwig Göransson's Black Panther theme. And Alan Silvestri found it different to anything he'd done previously due to the very quick changes in tone. Thanos' theme was linked to the children of Thanos musically, but the individual Infinity Stones were not given themes. This was unlike what the Tesseract got in Captain America the First Avenger. And let's be honest, I've said this before, the Avengers theme absolutely slaps. It is such a great theme, it's so memorable, and I really love that Alan Silvestri started with the Avengers, and in Infinity War and Endgame, he kind of builds on that original theme and makes it so much more epic, so much more kind of audibly extravagant, I think is the best way to describe it. It's the same theme, but it's bigger and bolder and better, and I really like that about these movies. So let's talk about the release of Avengers Infinity War. So before it was released, an estimated $150 million was spent on advertising and promotion. At the time, this was the largest for any Marvel movie. 
And when Infinity War premiered at the Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles on the 23rd of April 2018, it also had other screenings at the adjacent El Capitan Theatre and the Grauman's Chinese Theatre. It released wide on the 27th of April in the US with with 4,474 theatres. This was Disney's widest release ever at that point. Demand was so high that a few AMC theatres screened Infinity War infinitely, you could say, for 24 hours straight. It was the biggest release for a Hollywood film ever in India. Even China, who had a 30-day release window, ended up extending it for another 30 days due to demand. At the time, it was the fastest movie to gross over $1 billion. It did this in just 11 days, uh, a record that was then beaten by its sequel. It took 18 days to hit $1.5 billion, which was again beaten by Endgame. It took 48 days to hit $2 billion, uh, a day more than Avatar took, and again beaten by Endgame. Basically, in the time Infinity War took to hit $1 billion, which as I said was 11 days, Endgame had already hit $2 billion. So we've got a lot to talk about in the next episode when it comes to Endgame and how huge that movie was. But ultimately, I don't need to tell you that Infinity War was a huge success. That's kind of what I do on this podcast, so I will. Financially, $678.8 million in the US and Canada, $1.370 billion elsewhere in the world, led to a worldwide gross of $2.048 billion. It was knocked off the number one spot after three weeks by Deadpool 2, which is obviously another Marvel property not owned by Disney at that time. It was also out at the same time as Black Panther. When Infinity War debuted, Black Panther was sitting at fifth in the US charts, having been out 11 weeks. Infinity War also sold more pre-release tickets in its first day than Black Panther did in its first month. Deadline Hollywood estimated the net profit of Infinity War to be $500 million dollars, placing it first on their 2018 list of most valuable blockbusters. And while the vast majority of critics praised the movie for its scale, its scope, its interesting complex villain and its finale, there were some detractors who lamented the fact that this was so reliant on the viewer knowing so much from the previous 18 movies, which is a fair criticism, but Infinity War and to a higher degree Endgame were kind of made for fans to please fans. I mean, more so in the case of Endgame, let's be honest. But this is a fan-pleasing event. This is something that a lot of people wanted to see. And the fact that it's not only so beloved by fans, and it really genuinely is, people love Infinity War for really good reason, but the fact that it sets out to shock and surprise and delight, it really is one of the crowning jewels of the MCU in that respect. So Infinity War was nominated for 45 awards, including an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, which it lost to First Man, a BAFTA for Best Special Visual Effects, which it lost to Marvel stablemate Black Panther, a Best Instrumental Composition Grammy for Alan Silvestri's score, which lost to Blood and Bowden by Terence Blanchard, It would be an honorary for Hollywood Visual Effects at the Hollywood Film Awards and would win an additional 18 various other awards, including the Teen Choice Awards, the Visual Effects Society and the People's Choice Awards. And I mean, I've mentioned it a few times. There is a movie that came after this movie that was quite a little bit bigger, quite a little bit different to this. And for that reason, when they originally had Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2, although they are two parts of the same story, Avengers Infinity War Part 2 would be a completely different kettle of fish, so to speak. So when it came to sequels for Infinity War, obviously that sequel became Avengers Endgame, was taken from a quote from Doctor Strange in this movie, we're in the end game now, and it basically asks the question, what do the Avengers do after half the population of the universe is gone? But let's find that out next episode, shall we? So let's dive into some social media thoughts, and we're going to start, as always, with the patrons of Verbal Diorama, and we're going to start with Andy. (laughs) We always tend to start with Andy, because... Let's be honest, Andy always tends to get in there first. Andy's the verbal diorama school SWAT. And he says, and this is, Andy, this is so not funny. He's done this joke every single time and it's so boring. Oh, okay, he says, Mrs. Peel, you're needed. Mrs. Peel. Thanos!
Gross. And then he's put, dang, I did it again. Oh, I, uh. Andy, you're a really cool guy, but I mean, it's just not the same Avengers. <laughs> you have no idea how much this is irritating me. Anyway, his actual comment says, Infinity War is the big comic book event storyline done right. With over 10 years of films to reference from, multiple story arcs beginning to come together and the same fun and emotion that I'd grown to expect from the MCU. This film stands as one of my favourite cinema going experiences of all time. Each character's introduction was greeted with resounding applause and the end hit the audience like a freight train. It was so traumatic that a friend of mine who happened to be in the same theatre messaged me to meet him in the lobby afterwards just so we could hug it out. An amazing film from start to finish and that wasn't even the actual finish. And one of the things that I like to do is I do like to give a plug for all of the patrons who have a podcast. And Andy is from the Geek Salad podcast. They are the literal one-stop shop for all of your geek podcasting needs. So they basically do news, reviews, trivia, and um, anything to do with movies, music, TV, games, literally anything. They are literally a salad bowl of geek. So, you know, you have your lettuce, you have your tomato, you might have a bit of cucumber. I mean, you might have some sweet corn in there. You might have a little bit of dressing on the side. And basically, Geek Salad take that salad bowl and they rummage it all together. And it's really, really delicious. So, I mean, I hope that worked as a metaphor. But I will put a link to Geek Salad in the show notes, as always. We have another patron comment. This comment comes from Derek and he says, This one takes the cake for me. Making Thanos the main character and taking time to show us why he believes he is the hero while simultaneously putting the mad in Mad Titan. Brilliant. I'll never forget the snap. Truly one of pop culture's greatest cinematic moments. And of course, Derek co-hosts The Midnight Myth. It's all about history, mythology, philosophy and how those topics influence a popular culture. As I said, it's co-hosted by Derek and his wife, Laurel, and sweet baby Arthur makes an appearance occasionally as well. Please, please make sure you check out The Midnight Myth. They are an incredible podcast and they are absolutely deserving of your ears. We also have a comment from Brendan who says, It loses much of the quiet character beats work that make the Avengers and big chunks of Age of Ultron, not to mention Civil War, work so well. But Infinity War works like gangbusters as an all-splash-pages-gonzo crossover event and tees up the even better endgame perfectly. And the final patron comment comes from Scott and he says, Is it my favourite MCU movie? I don't know, maybe. Ambitious, thrilling, hilarious, how it weaved 20 movies worth of characters and narrative into one coherent and cohesive part of a larger story was just so satisfying. Josh Brolin's Thanos is the MVP in a movie filled with MVPs. Seeing an opening weekend with a great audience helped the experience no end and taking my daughter to see it will remain one of my favourite memories as she sat open-mouthed for the last hour before turning to me and proclaiming that was the best thing I've ever seen. I've only really got into Marvel by way of the movies but to finally see all these disparate characters brought together was a giddy thrill but then that was inevitable. And Scott, along with Kev and Chris, hosts the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast They are three friends, they wax lyrical about film and the experiences of watching film and I know that Scott has borrowed that quote for his new podcast introduction which is absolutely fine, like I'm glad that I've inspired something in someone. Go and have a listen to Monkey See Monkey Review, Uh, you won't regret listening to them. Right, let's move over to Twitter. Now, interestingly, on social media, it does appear that Thanos has wiped half of the comments because there are not as many comments as I'm used to getting. So I can only assume that Thanos is involved and he's wiped the rest of them off the face of the earth. So we'll start with Sam. Sam is obviously the host of Movie Reviews in 20 Qs and he actually put a gif up from the room and just said, isn't it fabulous? Which, yeah, it is. I mean, that is a pretty perfect GIF. So it's not really a comment. It's just more of a a GIF, but I like Sam. Uh, He's a really cool guy. So, yeah, I'm including it anyway. We have the Cooking with Grief podcast who said, I think it's the MCU's high point so far. 
Not the best individual movie, but the way it pulls together all the strands from the previous films like a TV season finale. And we have the Film Effect podcast who said, I'll never forget the feeling I had coming out of this movie. Just thinking the balls it had to feature such a dark ending the way it did. For my money, it still did an excellent job setting up the finale. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Friendly Spa Pod who says, Infinity War was such a phenomenal movie. Everything flows together perfectly and the ending felt so empty. I knew they wouldn't leave us hanging like that, but it made Endgame that much sweeter. No comments over on Facebook this time round, but like I say, it does seem like the vast majority of comments do seem to have completely disappeared from the face of the earth. I am going to blame Thanos for that because genuinely I feel like so many people were really interested in this movie being featured, but for some reason either did comment and it disappeared or decided that they didn't want to. It's quite interesting actually that Age of Ultron out of all the Avengers movies seems to have had the most comments so far and it's the movie that people don't like as much. Um, But hey, that's just the way social media is. And a massive thank you to everyone who did comment on this episode. So, remember when Joss Whedon made a superhero crossover event in 2012 and we were all like, oh my god, this is so awesome! And there's no way anyone else could do this, it's amazing! But then, a mere six years later, along come Joe and Anthony Russo and deliver a crossover event of immeasurable scale, scope, importance and consequence bringing together mostly every superhero we've ever met over the course of 18 movies, retaining the humour despite the extreme darkness of the tone. And watching Avengers Infinity War for the first time is one of those cinematic events that, for me, I will never forget. Marvel was so confident in its writers and directors and allowed the Russos to create something completely immeasurable and infinitely memorable, excuse the pun, To frame the villain as the hero is not an easy thing to pull off, but ultimately you can't help but question why the Avengers were so unwilling to sacrifice one for the many when Thanos is more than willing to do it. Love is always so hard to quantify, but the look on Gamora's face, and honestly, I cannot praise Zoe Saldana enough in this movie. She is truly amazing in this movie. When she realises Thanos' abusive, manipulative love for her, is still classed as love and that he can still trade her for the soul stone. It breaks me every single time. Where every other superhero movie would have someone magically save the day at the last minute, Infinity War constantly tempts us with our heroes winning before cruelly snatching away their victory. If anything, it left Endgame with a dilemma. How do you make heroes suffer real consequence and failure as a result of their choices and then reverse that decision? But again, that's something for next episode. Infinity War was such a bold choice. It's very different to everything that preceded it and will likely be nothing like anything that comes after. I do hope that Marvel continues into Phase 4 with such bold, inventive storytelling because Infinity War really is that rare beast that entertains you, makes you think, and also makes you really, really sad. In fact, you might just say that Avengers Infinity War is perfectly balanced as all things should be thank you for listening as always i would love to hear your thoughts on avengers infinity war if you enjoyed this episode you can help this podcast grow and be noticed by others by leaving a hopefully five star rating or review on somewhere like apple podcasts or podchaser You can like or retweet posts that I put on social media. That always helps other people to see them. But mostly you could just tell your friends and family about this podcast, especially if they're a huge Avengers fan or indeed a huge Marvel fan, because this is not the only Avengers movie that I've covered and it's not the only Marvel movie that I've covered. Uh, I'm talking MCU. I've, I've covered lots of other Marvel movies. But, you know, if you do like this episode on Avengers Infinity War and you're curious about what I think about other movies, you might also like the following episodes. So I'm going to recommend episode 68, Black Panther, which was a very, very emotional episode for me. It was recorded quite soon after the death of Chadwick Boseman. And one of the things that really, really makes me so sad about Infinity War and seeing Infinity War again is seeing Chadwick and and just how much he brought to such a small amount of time on screen. Just little things like 
the war chants, which were all made up by the cast, actually, which is one of the most fascinating facts about this movie, that Winston Duke made up a war chant and Chadwick Boseman also made up a war chant as well. Just to kind of get all of these extras really rattled up, ready to, to charge these space dogs, as Rocket calls them. But Black Panther is such a special movie. Chadwick Boseman, such a special guy. And yeah, I will never not be sad about the loss of Chadwick to the world. Not just to these movies, but to, to the world in general. Episodes 71, 72, 73... They are on the Captain America trilogy, so 71 is the first Avenger, 72 is the Winter Soldier, 73 is Civil War, and like I say, Civil War to many people is Avengers 2.5, so there's a lot from this movie, from Infinity War, that's directly based on Civil War, so, you know, have a listen to that if you're keen. I mean, I've done Avengers movies as well, 97 was on the Avengers, 98 was on Avengers Age of Ultron, which... I know a lot of people will quite happily not admit that Age of Ultron is their favourite Avengers movie, and it really isn't the best Avengers movie, but there's so much to enjoy in that movie. I really love the horror themes in Age of Ultron. If you haven't seen Age of Ultron recently, please give it another watch and look at it like it's a horror movie, because the themes of Frankenstein, there's even some zombie movies in there as well with how the robots move. It's really, really interesting. Um, and obviously, I think WandaVision has given it a retrospective that's slightly different now. But yeah, so, I mean, I have done, like I say, other Marvel movies, but I don't want to recommend literally everything that I've ever done. So give me feedback on these recommendations. Let me know what you think. And look, I'm not going to beat around the bush on the next episode. You know what it is. It is Avengers Endgame. It is the 100th episode of Verbal Diorama. This is something that I decided that I was going to do. I'm not even joking. <laughs> Last December, I thought I'm going to do all four Avengers movies and I'm going to culminate it with Avengers Endgame. And so this has kind of been my plan the whole time. And I'm really, really excited to talk about Avengers Endgame because it's a completely different movie to this. And I think it's going to be an interesting discussion to have because I know a lot of people love Infinity War and some people are very divisive on Endgame for multiple reasons. But I'm really, really interested to talk about it. And like I say, there will probably be some crossover with production and stuff with this movie, but it's inevitable, just like Thanos. If you want to follow me, you can. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. You can sign up to support the show. I have a brand new link for this as well. It is verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. That will take you to my Patreon page and you can sign up to support the show if you want to. You're under no obligation to do so. But I always love to give a shout out to all of the patrons because a lot of these people have been with me for a quite a while supporting me and yeah just kind of being there and really helping out financially which for a small independent podcast is it's immeasurable the, the support that they give I can't even tell you so I always like to thank them every episode because I genuinely am so grateful to each and every one of them so to Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, and brand new patron Dan. Dan has just signed up as a Duke Kaboom patron, which is a brand new tier at the Patreon. You are so welcome, Dan. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you with this ragtag group of brilliant people. And to all of you patrons, you all kick names and take ass. I do also have a merch store with another brand new link. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and bits and pieces if you want. If you want to get in touch, you can do so, verbaldiorama at gmail.com, or you can pop over to verbaldiorama.com and you can fill out a little contact form on there. And as always, I write for Film Stories. It is an independent British publication. There is a website, there is a magazine. I write for both of those things. So please check out online and please buy a copy of the magazine because it's really cool. One of the things that I do online is I actually recommend a British movie podcast every week 
online and in the magazine I have a column and I recommend an international movie podcast every month so I'm always on the lookout for more podcasts to feature I have a long list but I'm always on the lookout so if you are a movie podcast and we've not been in touch then get in touch with me follow me on Twitter and yeah I will definitely put your name forward for a future feature future feature <laughs> oh, I'm so delirious about this episode that I'm laughing at my own jokes now it's not even a joke actually what am I talking about anyway and finally how much of this episode will survive the snap let's see shall we